He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you as always. And fellas, do we have a lot to get into today? I'll give you a quick rundown. We got to talk about the BMW and our man Javi, Victor Hovland, lighting the world on fire on Sunday. We'll touch on that. Then we will get to the USAM. Then we will cover the Ryder Cup standings. And then after all of that is done, we will cover the Tour Championship. So we have a packed show for you guys today. Like I said, we have to start with Victor Hovland, who won the BMW Championship on Sunday, shoots a 9 under par 61 with a 28 on the back nine to finish at 17 under, two shots ahead of Scotty Scheffler and Matt Fitzpatrick, who finish at 15 under. Rory McIlroy finishes at 12 under in solo fourth place. And tied for fifth was Brian Harmon and Max Homa at 11 under. I thought Victor Hovland's back nine on Sunday at the BMW Championship at Olympia Fields on a tough golf course, 28 to win the golf tournament by two shots, T-Dub. That was the performance of the year, and I'm glad it was a former Cowboy in Victor Hovland. Yeah, it seems like a great place to start for this conversation. It truly does. When I was watching that back nine of Victor Hovland's, I was thinking to myself, I have seen very few golf performances in my entire life that were better than this, what I was watching. The fact that he played nine holes on, as you mentioned, a major championship-style golf course, and the only pars that he made were on par threes. He made eight threes on the back nine. Eight threes. The only uh, time that he did not make a three was on 15, a par five, and he made a birdie on that hole. So it was just tremendous golf. There's plenty. Birdies 10, 11, 12, makes the par on 13. Hits a great shot in 13 as well, and on 16. The two only pars, they were just very tough pins that you just could not really take on. It was not very smart to aim at those flags. So he played towards the middle of the green and didn't make the 20-footers or whatever that he had. But I did not see him hit. I shot on the back, not even on 14, the hole where he was over in the left rough. He ends up chopping it out. He ends up rolling up to a foot from the hole. It was just truly beautiful stuff. And then everyone's talking about the broadcast, oh, well, He's, he pars 16. It's like, well, he's got 17 and 18 left or two pretty hard holes here. Who knows how, how it's going to come down after this. And he just goes on and goes and birdies both of them. It's a great shot in the 17, takes that putt, and then on 18, hits another great shot in there, great putt as well. So, and you look at how he did in the final round, he gained more than three shots on the greens total, and he gained more than three shots on the greens approach. So, really, Woody, when you break it all, all down, there was, besides a few times where he missed a green, and he had to do a little bit of short game work. I mean, he hit 16 of 18 greens, so he had to chip twice. But that, besides the chipping, which has always been Victor Hovland's kryptonite, everything else was spot on, if not more superb than it's ever been in Hovland's career. Short game. Short game is off the charts better. The up and down on the par five. That was a tough little shot. He had to flop over that bunker and stop that golf. And his short game, I just am so impressed with how he has worked with his instructor and and these guys have figured it out. The the only drawback to that golf tournament was is we were so focused on Scheffler 
and Fitzpatrick for the longest time, as well we should have been. They were having a real dogfight. Hoblin just kind of came on that back nine and just all of a sudden, birdie, 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 birdie. And before you knew it, he was in the lead. And it was so quick that even Jim Nance, when he wasn't buried up so far Rory's buttocks, uh, he had to realize that, oh, what happened here? Where's this guy coming from? And so, Sam, I will say this was one phenomenal round of golf. It might not rank as the best round of golf I've ever seen simply because the greens were so soft. If those guys were even out of the rough, being able to throw some balls at 10 foot. If you had firm, fast greens and he shot 28, which I don't even think was possible, but as good as he was striking it, maybe could have been possible. Still, when you think about rounds of golf that you watch and you can't believe it when you're done, that was one for me. Because I didn't know he shot 28 till they told me that. But I kept thinking, I've never seen a guy hit his irons that good except Scotty Scheffler. That's the only other guy I've ever seen that hit his irons so close to the hole. That was phenomenal. And you know what? There weren't pistols firing. There were cannons firing on that back nine. I'm so proud of Victor Ovlin. He has become a world-class player. Guys, it's just a matter of time. He will win majors, and he will win a lot of them. No doubt. And he gets his fifth win, which ties him with Scott Verplank, who many consider the greatest to ever come out of OSU. Obviously, Bob Tway and Wyndham Clark now both have major championships from OSU. Victor does not have one of those yet. But in my opinion, how old is Victor? 25, right? He is already at this age better than any other OSU player to come out of their storied program, fellas. And, and to me, he's just so talented. And that back nine took me back to the first time that I ever met Victor Hovland, fellas. And I tweeted this story out in a little thread. You can go look at it on Twitter, but I'll tell it again right now. I was out playing with the boys at Oak Tree National, and we play the front nine and playing with a couple of his former teammates from OSU as well. And we get to the back nine. We're standing on number 10 tee box, and Victor Hovland drives up to us. He's like, can I play with you guys? And we're like, obviously, you can play with us. You're Victor Hovland. He'd already won the USAM at Pebble Beach by this time. It's right after college, and he's trying to figure out what equipment company that he wanted to go with after college and he said he'd been trying out these irons on the range and I watched him put these brand new ping irons in the bag for this back nine that he wanted to try out for this back nine and just see how they reacted on the course. Victor Hovland goes out to the back nine at Oak Tree National and hits every fairway and then every green with these new irons and shoots six under par. And it's one of those six under pars, fellas, that you don't realize he's going that low because everything is just so rock solid, nothing fancy about it, just right down the middle onto the green and making putts. And right at that moment, after we finished that nine holes, I go, this is different. He's just built different than anybody that I've ever seen. He's going to consistently make money, and he's going to win big on the PGA Tour. And I kept telling people that, and that's back when a lot of people were extremely high on Matthew Wolf. I said, it's going to be a lot more consistent with Victor Hovland. I turned out to be right on that, but I did have a little bit of inside information just watching him and then not only to do 
that on, you know, a back nine with the boys out at Oak Tree National, but it was that same Victor Hovland that we see in the BMW Championship in the FedEx Cup playoffs, T-Dub. This guy is big time and big league and probably the best player to ever come out of the state of Oklahoma or at least have ties with the state of Oklahoma, in my opinion. Well, he just, every like we are talking about, everything besides the short game throughout his entire career has been Certainly superb. I remember, for example, last Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits, Victor Hovland hit the ball great, but his putter was absolutely horrible. So that was one thing that was a little bit streaky. And after that time, I said, well, let's see how the putter goes. How, let's see how that, because that's going to be really the thing, in my opinion, that's going to define him. Because with how well he hits it, there's only going to be a handful of courses to where his short game is going to be an extreme detriment. Because whenever you're hitting 75 to 80% of the greens, and also, too, when you have that much ball control, you can you can usually leave yourself in a situation where you can get up and down a little bit easier. And that may be something that he's been doing as well, because it seems like that even though he is a lot better now at those kind of flop shots and the really tough trick shots, it does seem like there are times where he does miss the green, he knows where to place the ball better. And so I feel like that his core strategy has gotten a little bit better. You just look at how he's played this year as well, guys. Obviously, every single year he gains a tremendous amount of strokes off the tee and approach. But this year, he's gaining almost three-tenths of a shot on the green, so he's definitely putting very well. And then he's actually technically gaining shots around the greens this year. It's only .04, very much in the middle. But for where Javi has been throughout his career, just for comparison's sake, he was at minus .37 last year in that category. So it has improved dramatically. And we know, as you guys have alluded to, seeing him out at Oak Tree, he grinds really hard on that short game to try to get it up. And I think he realizes that if he can just get that dialed in, the rest of his game is going to take care of itself. And then this week, he just puts the lights out of it, especially on that back nine. It's really great to see. And you look at the potential of him. He's only 25 uh, years old, 11 months. So he'll be 26 coming up here pretty soon. So I, I think that the sky is definitely a limit for Victor Hovland. Also, as well, the courses that he's won on, Woody. We, we had the, the talk off forever. When's he finally going to win in the continental United States? And two out of his last eight tournaments, he's done that. One happens to be at Muirfield uh, Village, one of the best courses in the world. And then Olympia Fields, a major championship course. So I think that's a good test or a good sign, buddy, that he's been able to win on golf courses that can traditionally hold up the biggest golf tournaments in the world. Well, we all know that the best ball strikers do the best on the world's class golf courses. And we didn't even talk about, you know what he's done with his bunker play? He, he was in the low 40% getting up and down out of bunkers. He's 80% now. So all around the short game so much better, guys. But what I love about Victor Hovland is Victor Hovland is focused. He you know, when you see him out at Oak Tree, like we get to do now and then, he's focused. He's out there and he's grinding. You know, when he comes home to Stillwater, he he, he spends a little bit of time in his man cave maybe, but he, he is on that golf course. Uh, you know, I haven't seen Victor Hovland on uh, Instagram or uh, Facebook or anything else with some hot chick on his shoulder. He doesn't have time for that right now. This boy's on a mission. And very seldom do you see a guy like that that focused. The only thing I don't like about Victor Hovland right now that he's playing the way he is, it's is for Europe, guy. <laughs> he's playing on the European Ryder Cup team. That's the only thing I don't like about Victor Hovland because in 2021, I said to Victor on the range at Oak Tree, I said, Victor, you're an alum. I'm a cowboy. I loved you, but this week I hope you get your ass handed to you. I'm not sure I'm going to piss him off like that if I see him this year because I don't want him any better than he is now. He is playing some unbelievable golf, 
and kudos to him. We all said it on our podcast, me more than anybody. I said, he will win. He will win in the state. You guys, it's just a matter of time, and sure enough, and he will win a major. Let's just write that down right now, guys. Not one. He's going to win multiple majors unless some catastrophic thing happens to his body. There's no stopping this young man. At 25 plus, almost 26, look out. We're going to see this name a lot. No doubt about it. And he gets 2,000 FedEx Cup points for that win at the BMW Championship, which moves him up into second on the FedEx Cup official standings. He will be only two shots behind Scotty Scheffler at Eastlake. Victor Hovland will start at 8-under, and Scotty Scheffler will start at 10-under. We'll get to that later on, but what do you mention the Ryder Cup, and it moves Victor Hovland up to third in the European Ryder Cup standings, only behind Rory McIlroy and John Rahm. We'll get to that later on as well. But before we do that, fellas, I do want to ask you about a couple of these guys that were on the leaderboard this week below Victor Hovland. You had tied for second, Scotty Scheffler and Matthew Fitzpatrick. I don't know how many times I have to say it on our recap shows throughout this year, but it's the same story but a different tournament for Scotty Scheffler on the greens. On Sunday, Scotty Scheffler lost a shot and a half on the greens, and that's the reason why he lost the golf tournament, T-Dub. Well, there's zero doubt about it. He was absolutely dominating this tournament in terms of uh, tee to green game. I mean, he was gaining .5, or I'm sorry, 3.5 shots tee to green. Second highest was Rory in that category with 2.14. The amount of, of greatness that Scotty Scheffler has when it comes to Golf, with the exception of on the greens, is superb. He's one of the, he would be one, a, a top ten golfer of all time, maybe already if he could putt. That's how crazy it is. He's having one of the best tee to green games that the game has ever had, especially since they started analytically. I believe I saw Justin Ray tweeted something about this earlier that tee to green wise, he's on pace to have the second best year of all time, only behind Tiger in two thousand six. So it, and, and analysts go back to about like two thousand four, so we don't have two thousand Tiger in there. But nevertheless, that goes to show how legendary he's been those categories and this week he loses half a shot on greens again it is ab- like absolute clockwork and the, the thing that i saw in particular was down the stretch especially on the 17th hole the 71st hole of the tournament he, he still has a chance to, to contend in this term he still has a chance to win javi was he had not made the birdie yet on 18 and scotty sheffer was at 16 under anyway he was technically tied for the lead and what does he do he blows it five feet by and then hits a horrible putt after that it's a Head straight push. You could see him leave the toe of the, of the putter open. You knew he was going to miss right the entire way. So, Woody, I think at this point, that's a clear sign that he does not even – this new putter, and it did not work this week, but he definitely does not trust it because what do we always say? Pressure will expose your weaknesses, and that is exactly what happened to Scotty Scheffler, in particular the last five holes of this tournament. He started that front nine. I was pretty impressed with some of the strokes I saw. Uh, I'm like you, though, T-Dub. As the pressure mounted, the putting stroke got a little bit questionable, to say the least. I, uh, I've i never seen anybody, besides Victor Hovland, that the proximity to hold that back nine was unbelievable. But I think through the first 12 holes, they had a stat on Scotty Scheffler that his proximity to the hole was 12 feet. Now, let me tell you something, gentlemen. That's, that's his flat stripe in the golf ball. And he could have got this golf tournament where nobody would have caught it. If he would have putted just a little bit better, especially, let's say, 7 through 12, okay? If he makes a couple of those putts, 
and doesn't miss some of those really easy putts. Does Victor Hovland keep making birdies? I think he probably does. Victor had it on a roll that day. He was not backing off no matter what happened. I still think, I'm not sure that you can become a good putter, guys. That's, I know this sounds funny to you, but I, I'm not sure you can become a great putter. Let's say you can become a good putter, but great putters just have that ability. What, let me ask you this, though. Great putter. What, what do you, let me ask you this, but I, I grew up playing against Scotty Scheffler, not only in junior golf, but in college golf as well, and he never struggled with the putter like this. This has been over the last couple of years. Sam, when you played with him, would you say that he was See, like when I played, I would watch a Lauren Roberts or a Ben Crenshaw roll the golf ball, and I was just fascinated with it because it was so good. It was so good all the time. And Brad Faxon had that ability, too, because Brad Faxon and Lauren Roberts reminded me a lot of each other. I played one time in Phoenix with Lauren Roberts. I've never seen a PGA professional hit the golf ball so bad. I've played with amateurs that could hit it better than Lauren Roberts. And when we got done, he shot 68 and I shot 70. And I walked over to my caddy and I said, that's sickening. I, I hit it so much better than he did. And my caddy looked at me and goes, well, maybe you ought to learn to putt better. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't fire him. I didn't fire him at the time I wanted to. But he's right. And so – when you look at Scotty Scheffler, I never have thought Scotty Scheffler was a great putter. I thought he was a pretty damn good putter, but I didn't think he was a great putter, okay? Yeah. So that's the problem. When you're a pretty good putter and then you become a little bit off, then you're just okay putter. And that's what we got to remember. We're still talking about the best players in the world, gentlemen. So let's right. keep this in mind. When we say he's a bad putter, no, he's not. He's still a exceptionally good putter, but he's not as good as a lot of those guys he's playing against. But he's still number one. To put it in perspective, he's number one in the FedEx Cup on the points list, and he's 230-something in putting this year on Datagolf. That shows you how good a ball striker he is. And you know what? There was another guy I remember that way back, long before you guys were born, that was a lot like that. You know what his name was? Ben Hogan. Ben Hogan to this day, was one of the best ball strikers I ever saw. I watched him play 18 holes at Shady Oaks from a distance, and he never got out of the cart to putt because he wouldn't do it. But he had 18 fairways, he had 18 greens, and I promise you, I asked Lindy Miller, who's riding in the cart with me, I said, Lindy, what would you have shot if you got to play his ball? He said it'd been in the 50s, Woody, and it'd probably been in the low 50s. <laughs> That's my type of golf right there. Just pick it up once you get to the green. No no need to I'm putt. dead serious, guys. I love it. I watched it. I didn't realize what I was watching because I was too young to appreciate it. But I watched him play 18 holes and never miss a golf shot, I thought. And yet Ben Hogan would tell you he had one or two, maybe three perfect shots around. Well, if he only hit one or two or three, I don't hit one in a month. It is amazing. And and back to Scotty, he was never – I would never 
think finish playing with him and be like he's a great putter, but he would make all the putts he needed to make. You know what I mean? And so it's never he's never been a bad putter until now. And I I obviously understand that it's relative. Um, he's playing against the best players in the world now, um, but I do think that he has something deeper in the tank that he can find. He just hasn't found it yet, and it's same story, different tournament for Scotty Scheffler. Um, Sam, one thing to remember. We always talk about the golf gods on our show. The golf gods only gave one guy I know perfection for a long period of time. That was Tiger Woods. Everybody else, they might hit it good, but they don't putt it as good as they can. They might hit it horrible, but put the eyes out or chip the eyes out. The golf gods don't let you have a role where everything goes your way very often. You have brief moments where it goes your way. Scotty will be back, but I'll bet you a dollar to a million dollars when he starts putting good he won't hit it as good you want to bet <laughs> no you're probably right what, yeah, what probably are you so. gonna say, hey, two last things i'll say about sky shuffler one is that the few times i got to play with him as well sam i, I never thought he was gonna miss a putt i played with him one time in, Ab- in abilene and he shot a 67 he's only 13 years old and he shot a 67 i think he if they had strokes gain then he would have gained like five shots putting during the day it was absolutely insane how many putts this little <laughs> kid made to put it in perspective I hit it 50 yards further than he did at the time, and he beat me by, I believe, six or seven shots. So it just to just show how much, how many putting he did. So, yeah, I never thought I'd come to a point where I was watching Scotty Shuffler miss putts that he should obviously make and, and not even sniff the hole sometimes. Like, for example, the putt he hit on 16 yesterday was absolutely horrible. But then you just look at how he's done since he's turned pro. His first PGA Tour season was in 2020. He, he technically gained strokes that year, and then 2021 he putted a little bit better, and then 2022 he putted a little bit better. Last year, he gained about a quarter of a shot around putting, and this year it's gone completely inverse. For the entire year, he's averaging about a quarter of a shot loss. So you look at that in a comparison perspective, he's losing half a shot more on the greens per round this year than he even did last year. So I, I don't know. To Woody's point, I don't know exactly where it went wrong, and I get that he was – you never look at his stats and think he's an overwhelmingly great putter, but he was at least above average for the last two years on the PJ Tour, and now he's way below average. So if he can get back to a point where he's just – like he was last year and then hitting the ball as good as he is now, he would have won six or seven times this year, and that's probably what he'll end up doing next year, in all honesty. We'll talk more about Scotty Scheffler when we get to the Tour Championship later on in the show. I want to touch on two guys, um, and let's talk about the European Ryder Cup side because we're going to talk a lot about the U.S. Ryder Cup side, obviously, coming up after the break. But the guys that finished tied for second and solo fourth, uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick and Rory McIlroy. And fellas, the European Ryder Cup team is playing really well right now. The guys that will be on that team, Rory, obviously John Rahm has been down comparatively to what he was, but he's still John Rahm. Victor Hovland, obviously Tyrrell Hatton, Tommy Fleetwood, Matt, Matt Fitzpatrick. You got even Justin Rose playing some solid golf, Sepp Straka as well. These guys all year, T-Dub, and we talked about it on the radio show, we were kind of like, who's going to fill out the bottom half of that lineup? Well, I think we might have focused too much on the bottom half of that lineup, and maybe it was our goggles on from watching the U.S. just beat their ass at whistling straights. But, guys, Rory, John Rahm, Victor Hovland, Tyrrell Hatton, Tommy Fleetwood, Matt Fitzpatrick, you can roll those guys out there every single session until singles, and then you got to play those bottom half guys. But that's a tough, tough name brand lineup right there that 
playing on their home soil, fellas, that is something to watch out for when we talk about Team Europe. They're playing very, very well, even though this BMW Championship was same story, different tournament for uh, Rory McIlroy as well. Fellas, I think they're a team to look out for, and the home team since 1995 in the Ryder Cup has a 38-point advantage. So I, I just think they're really good and and maybe us as Americans are getting a little cocky thinking oh we're just gonna smack them like we did two years ago well I remember after the last Ryder Cup I remember thinking just how big of an advantage it is to have the home course and I made a prediction I said over the next probably two decades there may be one time going forward in in that stretch of the 10 Ryder Cups where the uh, the away team does get a win I think it'd be really hard and you're exactly right Sam the fact that the Americans so many of them have been playing so well for the last calendar year or so. It's made it a little bit easy to think that, oh, well, they'll just, they'll just roll in and dominate again. But now you can go head-to-head, right? So Sky Scheffler versus Rory McIlroy. Okay, well, that's probably a toss-up in most days. I guess you could probably go with, with – I would probably go with Scheffler, honestly, just more times than not just because he's such a good ball striker. But analytically, Rory is ranked a little bit higher, so that is kind of interesting. Then you have Rom versus Cantlay. I, right now, you'd probably take Cantlay. But based off their, their record, especially in major championships, you would go with Rom there. Then you have Shoffley versus Hovland. I'm taking Hovland every every day at this point. You get down like Homa versus Fleetwood. Okay, well, I'd probably go with Fleetwood there too. So the point I'm trying to make here is, is that, yes, the bottom probably th- at least three in the rider, or for the Europeans is going to be a little bit questionable. But at the end of the day, the, the top and even to the middle of the Europeans is so is playing so good, and they're playing good at the right time. Granted, we do have a month to go before Rome, that is the end of September, early October. So there's definitely a lot of time for the form to go away. As we all know, you can you can be hitting it the best you have for two months, and then you go out one day and you completely lose it for two months after that. So it could definitely happen. Hopefully it steers a little bit more towards the Americans. But have, I'll be honest with you guys, if the Ryder Cup was held tomorrow, I would probably pick the Europeans. I have to agree with you, T-Dub. I hate the way they're gelling. All these guys that we fought, were in their top eight that were, you know, iffy. They're starting to play some really good golf. I will tell you this, Zach Johnson, he can either win this thing or lose this thing with his six picks. And if he lets politics and his ego get in the way, he's going to lose. He's going to lose big. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, you deserve to lose, you stupid SOB. Okay? <laughs> if he thinks about the golf course setup and he thinks about the nine to ten guys you've got to pick from, and he really looks at the way that golf course plays, he can put our six that we will pick are going to be better than the six he will pick. And that will determine who wins it. And let me tell you something. It could be a blowout. If it's a blowout, it'll be the European side. I think it's going to be a really close Ryder Cup within a half point to a point. And the only way we'll win it is if Zach Johnson picks the right six guys. Yeah, we're going to dive into that. To wrap up the BMW Championship, fellas, the top 30 was the big number that we were looking at. Sepp Straka gets that last spot. Uh, Jordan Speed 29th, Terrell Hatton, 28th, Emiliano Grillo, 27th, and Sam Burns, 26th. 
Those were your last five guys in. The last guy out was Sahithi Gala at 31, Chris Kirk at 32, Denny McCarthy at 33, Justin Rose 34, and Andrew Putnam at 35. So you will see Sepp Straka, Jordan Speed, Hatton, Grillo, and Burns in the Tour Championship next week at East Lake. Any thoughts on the bubble guys teed up? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Sahithi Gala was playing really, really well. I believe he birdied, what did he birdie, 16 and 17 coming in. And I know the thing that really stings is that he made a, a bogey on 18, which I believe had he made that, he would have been able to bump in. So, yeah, he birdied 15, 16, and 17. I'm pretty sure he birdies to bump him up into the top 30. And then the unfortunate bogey on 18 hit his drive a little bit right, was kind of up against the tree, had to kind of finagle it out from there. So, yeah, it, that was very unfortunate for the Gala because he was, he was at one point – very, very much. I believe he was 27th or 28th before that bogey. So that one really cost him. And then it could have uh, held out some different players who ended up finishing 30th. I know Spieth was uh, 29th. Uh, that's what he finished. Now, Spieth was number 30 for a while. He was actually floating in and out as well. And then Sepp Straka was the bubble man down at 30. I believe he was 23rd or 4th before this week. So he was kind of secure. And he just fell down because he didn't play very good. Sam Burns moved out to end as well. He had a very good uh, third round, tied the course record before Victor Hovland came in and sell the show on Sunday. So, yeah, Sam Burns, good to see him because I guess he could have a chance to make one late, late push. If he comes out and wins the church championship, it'd be hard to leave him off that Ryder Cup team. That finish was interesting to watch. I thought Sagala really played better than Hatton and Spieth. Hatton and Spieth just threw up on themselves the last two holes. Okay, that was ugly. And to think both of them got in, and just because Sagala bogeyed 18, he goes out, and the reason he went out is because Cantley buried the daggum hole. I don't understand this FedEx thing. I do not understand how these points go. But to think that Jordan Speed and Terrell Hatton got in going finishing bogey, bogey, and Sagala didn't, birdie in three and then bogey in the last, I, I don't know. I call bull on that, too. I, I really thought. Jordan Spieth and Terrell Hatton didn't deserve to get to the Tour Championship. I'm glad they did, especially for Spieth. Spieth needs to start playing some better golf, guys. He doesn't impress me right now. And everybody's saying, well, he's a lock on the Ryder Cup team. Well, again, tell me why he's a lock. I, I don't get that. I'm sorry. Taylor Moore finishes in 21st so he will be going to east lake as well he was in 14th after the first event and now after the bmw he's in 21st uh colin morikawa is in the tour championship as well jason day as well ricky fowler a bunch of those guys up at the top obviously in the tour championship we'll dive into the tour championship later on it has the staggered point system we will let you know what that is going to be after the break. But before the break, fellas, let's go ahead and just dive into it with this U.S. Ryder Cup team. So we have our top six that are automatically qualified for the U.S. Ryder Cup team. That is Scotty Scheffler, Wyndham Clark, Brian Harmon, Patrick Cantlay, Max Homa, and Xander Shoffley. Brooks Kepka after the BMW Championship that he was not allowed to play in, falls out of the top six, and that means that he will now need to be a Ryder Cup captain's pick from Zach Johnson. Um, Let me just say this, fellas. If the PGA of America 
leaves off their champion. The PGA of America, mind you, runs the Ryder Cup. I know that they left off Phil, but he was 50. They also left off John Daly back in 91, but let's not compare the best player from this era to John Daly in 1991. Not only did Brooks win the PGA Championship this year, he also finished second at the Masters in April, and he finished seventh on this points list for the Ryder Cup, and in 2023, he only had four opportunities to gain points. That's 17 less opportunities than Justin Thomas had to earn points in 2023, fellas, and he still finishes seventh. Where did JT finish on this list? JT ended up finishing 15th on the points list, and that's including his major from 2022 because it's a two-year point system for the Ryder Cup points list, fellas. When we are talking about Brooks Kepka, I think it would be the biggest mistake in the history of the Ryder Cup, and it would make a mockery of a storied event. I think it would be a massive disgrace, and we've seen a lot of disgraceful things over this past two years of this live PGA Tour saga, but for them to make a mockery for political reasons out of the storied Ryder Cup and not bring a player that obviously deserves to be there in Brooks Kepka, I think it would be the biggest shame in the history of golf. And if Zach Johnson picks Justin Thomas and leaves Brooks Kepka at home and the U.S. goes on to lose another Ryder Cup on foreign soil, I think that Zach Johnson would go down as the worst captain in the history of the Ryder Cup and U.S. team golf. I, I Fellas, I cannot see a world where Brooks Kepka is not on this team. It will put more pressure on the team than if he's there. Hey, Sam, I could not agree more with what you just said, truly. I could not change one thing that you just said. First of all, me, I remember whenever you were gone on vacation, me and Woody kind of talked about this because I saw a story that, that I believe Golf Digest said wrote, and I'm like, there's no way he's not going to finish in the top six. I thought it was secured at that point. Sure enough, here we go. All the stars aligned and Shawplay and Homa will finish where they have to finish inside the top nine or something like that. Both of them did for Kepka to be able to move out. And that is exactly how it went. I will say this too. If it had been any other player who had finished seventh on the point stand, it used to be back in the day, it used to be top 10 made it automatically. Then you had two captains six. They decided, okay, let's make sure we can get some guys in a little bit better form. So let's go eight and four. But generally, the person who is who has been ninth on those standings will get in. And even even a lot of times, most of the time, someone who on the point from 1 to 10, if you were 11th, you got in. That's just kind of a almost an unwritten rule. Unless there's a clear reason as to why someone behind you should be picked and you're that one spot outside of making automatically, you should probably be picked, especially this year considering we went to left. So if it, if it was any other player who was number 7, they would be picked. And you just happen to add on to it as the PGA champion and a guy who finished second at the Masters and has been has won five major championships, has a winning record in the Ryder Cup, 6-5, and one already had played very good at Whistling Straits. The last one you're going to tell me, we're going to pick someone else, especially if you're going to give me that clown Justin Thomas right now. Are you kidding me? There's 20 guys that I would rather pick over him right now. So if they pull out and try to do some BS like that, there will be riots in the streets, Woody, because I'm pretty passionate about the Ryder Cup. It's one of my favorite events, not just in golf, but in all of sport. I just absolutely love the Ryder Cup. And if you're going to tell me we're going to leave off the PGA champion and a clear dominant player of this era because of political reasons, I'm – it's going to infuriate me beyond all belief. 
I'm right there with you, dude. I'm right there with you. The only guy wanting this to happen is Al Sutton. Because Al Sutton then wouldn't be the worst Ryder Cup that ever happened. Because you remember, he paired Tiger and Phil together. So, Al Sutton's the only guy pulling for Zach Johnson to do the stupidest thing that could ever happen. I'll tell you this. If Brooks Kepka's not on that team, and I texted you guys during this tournament because I was watching Shoffley to see if he'd finish in there. I told you guys on our text messages, if Brooks is not in the top six, I'll bet you Zach doesn't pick him. And if he doesn't, if he does not, he will go down as my annals. You remember how you hated Stuart Sink because he beat Tom Watson? Zach Johnson will be the lowest form of life that ever faced the earth and the PGA of America will even drop further into my eyes, which is hard to do when you can't fall out of a ditch. I will be so dis- – I'll tell you what I will be. I will go, go Europe. I don't even know what their fight song is. What is that? Then you got to root for Rory. Then you got to root for Rory. I won't root for Rory, but I'll work, root for the other left. okay? <laughs> and I will hope they kick our ass. I would say you deserve it in every way, shape, and form. Not to be, to go political on this, shame on the whole universe. PGA of America. America. Is Kepka an American guy? He's an American citizen. If he's not on that team, good Lord, I, I give. I'll watch it and I'll pull for Europe. I'm sorry, but I will. My biggest thing is it would put more pressure on the Americans if you left them off. Because not only, guys, not only would the only reason why Brooks is not on the team be for political reasons, I guarantee you every European fan of the Ryder Cup right now is hoping that they leave Brooks Kepka at home. Because then you're going to bring either Justin Thomas, Lucas Glover, or Cam Young. What are we even doing here comparing those guys to Brooks Kepka, who is the best player from this era? He's the best player from this era, and he won a major championship and finished second in majors in 2023, the year that this Ryder Cup is happening. It would be an absolute mockery of the event, and I guarantee you that if the U.S. lost, there would be riots in the game of golf that they should have had Brooks Kepka there. With all that being said, fellas, what I want to do is I want to ask you two questions, and I will start. First, what would your U.S. Ryder Cup team be? And the next question is, who do you think Zach Johnson is actually going to bring to Rome at the end of September? So first, my Ryder Cup team, fellas, would be the top six guys, and then seven through 12 would look like this. Brooks Kepka, Jordan Spieth, Colin Morikawa, Ricky Fowler, Keegan Bradley, and Lucas Glover of the guys that have a realistic chance. If you're asking me the 12 American golfers that I would completely trust the most currently to win the U.S. a Ryder Cup in Rome, something they haven't done in foreign soil since 1993, the 12 golfers would be Scheffler, Kepka, Cantlay, Shoffley, Homa, Morikawa, DeChambeau, Spieth, Clark, Harmon, Gooch, and Fowler in that order. But obviously, a couple of those guys, DeChambeau and Gooch, don't have a realistic chance to make the team because they didn't get any opportunities to earn points in 2023. So realistically, again, I'll say this. My team would be Brooks, 
Spieth, Colin Morikawa, Keegan, Ricky Fowler, and Lucas Glover. I think he'll bring that squad because it would put more pressure on the Americans if they do not bring Brooks Kepkin, and I think he knows that. But I I know that I think Woody and maybe even UTW disagree. You think they might bring either Cam Young or Justin Thomas in place of Brooks Kepka? I don't think there's a world where Justin Thomas comes to this Ryder Cup. I, I just don't. I just can't envision it. There's too many other guys who are definitely deserving and have played so much better over this year. It's been unbelievable. One, one thing I'll say about uh, Brooks' chances of making the Ryder Cup, it does help, in my opinion, that Brooks and Zach Johnson played a practice round at the British Open recently. So I think that is a little bit of a good sign. Maybe Zach was just saying, well, this guy's going to be in the top six, so I better get to know him because he'll be on the team and, and play a little bit, see exactly what he's doing because he's not going to go to a live event. But maybe that does show a little bit of connection there, and I think that, like I said, it would be a crime if it didn't happen. So I, I do think you look at the realistic team versus the team that I think will come. I think that Brooks is going to be on this team. I, I feel – very, very certain about that. Maybe it's just me thinking uh, there's not a world that we could leave the PGA champion off, but maybe it happens. Spieth is 100% guaranteed to make the team. Colin Morikawa was 100% to make the team. Ricky Fowler is 100% to make the team. And I would 100% have those guys on my team. So that's 10. You leave two spots there. The two players I would pick, I would pick Bryson and I would pick Lucas Glover. Those are the two that I would pick, at least right now. There is a lot of golf to be played at the Tour Championship, so that could – Change it a little bit. And I do think who plays well at the Tour Championship is going to decide who actually does get picked. I think that he hasn't been playing very good recently, but I think Keegan's been playing solid enough. He's 11th in the points, so I feel like that he would be picked. Cam Young is ninth, so maybe you got to look at him. I just think his game does not fit very well at all for for e, for uh, Rome. I mean, so are they going to pick Cam Young over someone like Lucas Glover, who's won twice and actually played pretty well last week, all things considered, after winning two weeks in a row? And is going to be have a, a decent chance at this tournament. He's to maybe not necessarily win, but at least show up and show that he can play extremely well. So who do I think will be picked? I'm, I would go with Keegan Bradley and then probably Cam Young, in all honesty, Woody. That's, at least at this point, that would be who I think does get picked, but I would throw in uh, Bryson and Glover as my last two. Well, it's funny, guys. Before we came on, I, I wrote down ten names. Glover, Spieth, Morikawa, Burns, Fowler, Kepka. Bradley, Henley, Finau, and Thomas. And the only reason why I put Finau and Henley on my list, what happens if they had a really good tour championship? <laughs> like win it or finish first, second, something crazy. Yep. Okay. So I put them in there just as a caveat to say, well, wait a minute. Okay. In everybody's world, Kepka should be on this team. I couldn't agree more. But if they do the ultimate and do not put Kepka on, then Thomas is a guaranteed on this golf team, okay? Who would I pick? I would take those first six. I would take Glover because he drives the ball and hits his iron so good. If he's my partner, I got a green light special in the alternate shot, best ball. I love him and from that standpoint, okay? I go with speed, even though I'm, I'm still just, little questionable how he's playing, but I'll go with speed. I go with Morikawa again, fairway green kind of guy, okay? Fowler is a little bit suspect to me right now. He hasn't played real good, guys, in the last few weeks. I mean, I hope he comes in. I'd still put him on my team, okay? I'll tell you who I'm not going to put is Bradley. I'm going to put Burns over Bradley, okay? 
Keegan Bradley scares the dog out of me. He's too fidgety. He's too jumpy. I don't know. I know he's got his heart in the right place, but Burns, to me, won the match play. He knows how to play match play. He's kind of like a little assassin, okay? So that's who I go with, okay? Who do I think? Zach Johnson, it scares the dog out of me, like I told you guys. I don't think he's going to take Kepka. And why? I don't know. I just feel like the politics and all this world we live in, I think he's going to step on himself and do the stupidest thing he can and leave him off the team. Once he does that, then Thomas is on for sure. No doubt. He'll go with Bradley. He'll go with Fowler. He'll go with Burns. He'll go with Morikawa. He'll go with Speed. Then he'll watch to see what Glover, Henley, and Finau do, and he'll put one of them on. I, I hate that I'm even saying this. And for once in my life, I hope I'm so wrong. You can't believe how wrong I hope I am. But it just worries me. I can't wait for August 29th because I really feel like the world we live in, people are going to make a really political decision that is going to be so wrong. I'm sorry. That's where I believe. As far as Keegan Bradley's Ryder Cup record, he's 4-3-0. And, oh, and Ricky Fowler's Ryder Cup record is 3-7-5. and five. Um, So Keegan Bradley does have a better Ryder Cup record than Ricky Fowler. In my opinion, T-Dub, if Justin Thomas makes the team, I think that Brooks Kepka will as well. I think Cam Young would be the guy being left at home if... Justin Thomas made the team, and I think that Cam Young and Lucas Glover would both not make the team, and Justin Thomas would make it over both of those guys. That would be a tough phone call. Imagine being Zach Johnson making the phone call to a guy like Cam Young, who's been in the top 10 of the Ryder Cup rankings for about two years now. Remember how good he played in the majors last year, and he even finished top 10 in the last major at the Open Championship at Liverpool, that would be a very tough conversation to have with Cam Young saying, you played light years better than Justin Thomas throughout these last two years, but I'm leaving you at home. That's the thing. I just see that as as probably an impossible thing to do, in my opinion. I don't see how that's feasible, how you could be able to make a phone call like that. But there are going to be some good players. That's obvious. There's no doubt. And to a couple points, Woody, you made talking about Russell Henley. If you look at the analytics, he's a sixth-ranked American analytically. The reason that I would not have him on my team is I've seen a lot of situations where the pressure gets there and you start to see some size of crumbling happen this year. I bet the wind, my God, he had the, the divot fiasco, but still bogeying those holes coming down. He did the same thing last year. I believe the same tournament missed a uh, about a three-foot putt get into the, uh, the, the five-way playoff that it ended up being. So I've just seen too many moments like that from Russell Henley. That's why he would be – just out. I'm, I'm with Sam. I, I really do think TG would be a great fit for Rome. He would be probably my 14th pick right now. I just feel like that, that you look at it, I think Bryson's been playing so well. Look at over the last three months, Bryson's the third, has been playing the third best when it comes to strokes gained. So I think that, that Bryson would be a tremendous fit. And then Glover, who, who's won twice and had a, a solid week last week as well. So it's just, I think that he's playing so well, gotten something figured out with that putter. Even though Glover's putter did lack him a little bit, he's still so good with the irons in his ball striking. I think he'd be a great fit to get over there and make sure you can get the ball in play off the tee box and be able to get into those small, narrow greens. So, I guess with, when you also look at it as well, there are some players that have been playing bad. Like, Woody brought the point. Fowler's going to be on the team, but he has not been playing extremely well, at least to what he was in the middle of the year. Keegan hasn't been playing as well as he was earlier in the year. Cam Young play, played has played good for a little bit and then came back down to earth, at least this last time when I picked him 
in the one and done. So the guys that who we thought would probably be picks in there, and then Sam Burns luckily played good this week. Maybe he can go out and play good at East Lake and he can move himself up the point standing. So the fact that the, the what would be about the, the nine to, or I guess in this case, the 11 to 12, the last two picks for the Americans, Woody, uh, there's a lot of volatility there and it's going the wrong direction. Well, it is. Somebody needs to get their feet on the ground. Uh, you know, I, Cam Young just hasn't, he's played well in majors. He's done a lot of great things, but he hasn't won a golf tournament yet. And that, that still speaks volumes to me. I mean, not winning a golf tournament and not being at East like this week does not. I think Cam Young's gone, guys. I hate to tell you, he's not even, I think he fell off the radar. It, it's going to come down, really what it's going to come down to is I think it's going to come down to four guys that are going to be really – it's Thomas, Bradley, Kepka, and Glover. What is he going to do with those four guys? And how many of those four can he get on the team? They can't get them all four. So one of those or two of those guys is going to be left off, and it's, it's going to be a really tough phone call, especially for Glover or Bradley. If he's calling and telling him he's taking Justin Thomas and not them, boy, that would be a tough pill to swallow, wouldn't it? You would be infuriated. What a weird, stupid time in golf we live in for the Ryder Cup where you have, speaking of the guys that T-Dub just mentioned, Gooch and DeChambeau, DeChambeau just shoots a 58 to win a golf tournament. Uh, He was third in 2021 on the Ryder Cup points list. Um, Didn't even have to be a pick, and you're not even giving him a phone call. Uh, And then Gooch, who's won more times around the world this year than any American I don't know any other American that's won three times in 2023, and he's not even on the radar either. What a stupid time in the game of golf. But when we do look, T-Dub, and this is my question to you now, is when you look at the 2021 U.S. Ryder Cup team that absolutely dominated at Whistling Straits, your top six in this order were Colin Morikawa, who's playing worse than he was. He's going to have to be a pick. Dustin Johnson, not going to be there. Bryson DeChambeau, not going to be there. Brooks Kepka might not be there. Justin Thomas, might not be there. Probably won't be there. Patrick Cantlay is the only guy out of the top six in 2021 that are in the locked-in six for 2023, T-Dub. By the way, the rest of that team was Tony Finau, won't be there. Xander Shoffley will be there. He's playing solid. Jordan Spieth will be there, but has to be a pick. Harris English won't be there. Daniel Berger won't be there. And then Scotty Scheffler was that last pick in 2021. Obviously, he is atop the points list. But a bunch of new names on this 2023 Ryder Cup team. The top six, like I said, Scheffler, Clark, Harmon, Cantlay, Homa, and Xander Shoffley for 2023. T-Dub, it's weird to look back on. And that's just another prime reason why I don't think Kepka could be left out of this team because of the experience that it brings, especially in that 2021 team. You're going to have a lot of guys who, as you mentioned, are going to be in and out. So it's going to be a fairly new team, and I think that's another reason that the Americans may not be looking as strong as we thought that they were. But this East Lake thing coming up, I get the true championship, the staggered scoring is going to kind of skew things. and it's, it's completely weird, but we'll talk about that later. It's going to come down to this. If Sam Burns is able to go out and play well, I think that he that he's going to be able to bump himself up on the team. Keegan Bradley is going to have to show some, and that's and you could also do the opposite too. Let's say someone like Lucas Glover, if he goes out and finishes DFL in the tournament, well, the odds of him getting picked are probably a little bit slim because of, because he wasn't on the radar before to be picked. Even they mentioned he thought about 
they asked, they asked Lucas Glover, you thought about being on the Ryder Cup team after he won in, in Memphis? And they're like, well, I hadn't really thought about it until now, but it'd be cool. And so, and to, to, show, to, there go, to go to that point, Cam Young won't even be there. Yeah, correct. Yeah, Cam Young's not going to be there. Yeah, I was referring to Lucas Glover, who I was talking about. But I probably said the, the wrong no, name no, there. No, but yeah, no, no, no. You said Lucas Glover. I'm just saying that Cam Young won't even get an opportunity because of the, how it works. So no. Only the top 30. Oh, 100, yeah, you're absolutely right, 100%. Yeah, no, yeah, Cam Young's not going to be there. That, so that that brings up uh, – that, that does probably skew him being down. I do think that he was playing so well, uh, at least for that little bit of stretch, that may look at his way. He's at least trending in the right direction, at least before last week when I picked him. So, But, no, there, there's a lot of volatility, and it's going to come down this last week because if you do go out and finish this DFL, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt your chances for sure. So Keegan Bradley and Lucas Glover in particular have to go out and play well because if they just even finish middle of the pack, it may be hard – and look the other direction. It does open up the door. If all these players do play back, keep trending down, that opens the door for maybe Justin Thomas does get picked, I guess. I, I just I, I don't see that that happening. It would be an absolute disgrace because even there's guys that we haven't even mentioned now who I'd rather have over Justin Thomas right now. Justin Thomas is on this team. You guys need to get over it. I'm just telling you, Justin Thomas will be in Rome. I don't agree with it. I don't care. It's going to be in Rome, Okay. What you've got to look at, though, in Rome, you know it's going to be narrow fairway. So you've got to find a guy that can drive the golf ball in the fairway, okay? Of all those guys we've talked about, who would you want more than anybody on those lists of guys to hit the fairway? If it's me, I'm going to tell you it's Glover. <laughs> the guy can strike the golf ball. I want him so he can hit fairways. That's going to be really important. You know how the Europeans trick up the golf course. It's not going to play long, It's but it's going to be tight, and the fairways will be firm and fast to get the ball in the rough. That's what they always have done. They'll do it again. So what is today today? What is it, August what, or 22nd? So what we got, seven days? Uh what we need to do is do a show on August 30th because after he picks, then we're going to have something to talk about. Until then, we're we're just speculating, okay? We do know one thing. Luckily, so far, I've really only heard Brandel Chambly be the only guy that says Kepka shouldn't be on the team. Johnson Wagner tiptoed around it so he didn't piss Brandel off. And why they're all scared of Brandel, I don't know. I, I'd tell him to go uh, take a jump in the canyon. I don't know what I'd tell him to do, but it wouldn't be pretty. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just think that he's the only one that's just been outspokenly because I've I've actually watched more golf guys simply because of my surgery and I can't do anything else. But I've watched more golf in the last week than I've watched in a long time. And, and, and the, all the golf channel people, they're all tiptoeing around it, but there's not one of them that's been as bold as Brandel Chambly to say he shouldn't be on the team. All of them have tiptoed around, but all, when they all finish tiptoeing, they kind of go what we've said. How do you leave a five-time major champion, the reigning PGA champion, and a guy, as you said, Sam, that got to play in 17 less golf tournaments than Justin Thomas, and destroyed him. It's still seventh on the Ryder Cup list. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah. It, I, I mean, mean, let's use some common stupid? sense. Let's use some common yeah, sense. Are we this what yeah, you brought up. Sense. You brought up something interesting. Talking about 
driving the golf ball, you know, in Rome. And, and so the fairways are going to be very narrow. So let's go through some of the off off the tee strokes gain stats for 2023. Let's go Keegan Bradley first. Off the tee in 2023, he ranked 74th in the world. This includes live players on data golf. Ricky Fowler, 87th. Justin Thomas, and obviously Justin Thomas has been struggling with the putter mostly, but he still ranks 80th off the tee. Lucas Glover, he ranks 48th. Um, any other guys you want to look at? Sam Burns off the tee in 2023, ranked 63rd. Cam Young off the tee in 2023, ranks 4th. Now, a lot of that is distance, wow. but he ranks 4th. Uh, so that might be something that people look at. Now, we have seen Cam Young get wayward off the tee late in rounds, but for the most part, he's one of the elite players off the tee in professional golf, T-Dub. I, I think it's a little shocking what, that he ranks fourth. Spieth, I, I, what Spieth and Morikawa? Let's go to Spieth. Spieth is 39th off the tee in 2023 okay. strokes gained, and Morikawa is 16th. Okay, okay. Well, you know, I wouldn't have ever thought Cam Young would be that low. But but I know he's a great driver of the ball. I know he is. A lot of that is and distance. And obviously, I don't know if that's going to pay off, uh, you know, at Marco Simone or, or whatever the course is called in Rome. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be about distance there. It's going to be more about accuracy. And, and guys, the one question, the one thing we don't even discuss is the fact it's on the foreign soil where the, the gallery is going to be vicious absolutely vicious so that's another reason why how can you not want a bulldog like Kepka? are you kidding me and let me ask you guys you're in a bar fight okay all of a sudden a bar fight breaks out you got Kepka standing there right you got justin thomas you got keegan bradley and you got jordan speed who you want on your just side? mentally if they're all the same size i would still take brooks Kepka. You damn right you would. I guarantee you want Brooks Kepka in a fight. You don't want any of those other guys in a fight. You want Brooks Kepka. Lucas Glover, you might want him in a fight, even though his wife <laughs> okay. But I think if I'm in a bar fight or I'm in a dog fight, I want Brooks Kepka on my team. I'm not saying I want to go out to dinner with the guy. I think he's kind of an ass, but I want him on a fight. I want him on my team. T-Dub, I, I got to get your thoughts on that Cam Young stat that I gave, though. He does rank fourth in strokes gained off the tee. I said I would leave him off for Lucas Glover just because of the heater that Lucas Glover has been on recently, but it's a little shocking looking at that stat. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier it is mostly distance, so he does rank eighth distance-wise, and he ranks 260th accuracy, so it is 100% all distance. The thing about Cam Young, the reason he's not playing in – at Eastlake is because the middle of his season was just absolutely horrible. He had a seven-tournament stretch where he didn't finish. He had one finish that was 32nd at the U.S. Open, but other than that, his entire finish was a 51st. He just went through a horrible stretch of golf. But then he finished sixth at the John Deere, finished eighth at the Open, and then missed the cousin three and finished 31st at the FedEx St. Jude, and then finished 15th last week. So I just feel like that he was playing as well as he did at the Open. I think definitely boosting him up. It is going to hurt for sure that he's not playing this week, as fact, as good as he is driving the ball, I feel like that he would be a good a good best ball player because you go out and just throw him, let him make some birdies because he's going to be able to take advantage of a lot of holes and pummel it down there if he makes a 
a bogey or a double. It doesn't really matter. And he does a lot of other things in this game well. He's not just an extremely long player off of the tee. I I really do like his swing. I, I understand he does have the pause, but I think technically wise it is very, very sound. A couple of the last weeks he has struggled with his irons a little bit, so I am a little bit concerned about that. But also, two out of the last three weeks, he's putted the ball really well, which is a good sign for Cam Young because in that middle of the season, he was doing really bad with his putting. So I just feel like there's a lot of good signs that go towards maybe him being picked. But, yes, it, it's going to be a detriment that he's not playing this week at Eastlake. But also, for comparison, I mentioned Cam Young's 260th in accuracy. Rory McIlroy's 277th. So it's, I, I understand you don't like him, Woody, but you still take Rory's driving game really no matter what course it is. So to wrap up this Ryder Cup discussion for the U.S. team, T-Dub, remind me one more time of your last guy in and your first two out. To me, Lucas Glover right now before the Tour Championship is my last guy in. Cam Young and Justin Thomas are my last two out. So is this for the team that we think it'll be or the team that we would pick? That we think that it will be. You know, we think it'll be okay. I think that the last couple out, I think Sam Burns will probably be just on the outside looking in. Uh, he's not really getting looked at, but Russell Henley should be just on the outside looking in for how well he's been playing. Um, I, I said earlier, I think Keegan and, and Cam Young would probably make the team uh, just on the outside. Tony Finau is probably getting looked at. If he has a, a solid week, maybe he could uh, move up a little bit. There, there are so many other players that are deserving, and you look at Justin Thomas as well. He's probably just going to be on the outside looking in for guys that would probably get a call. He's probably actually going to be number 13. If they did a poll, they would probably show that he was 13th on whatever standings over. A lot of other players would be more deserving. The sad thing is is Justin Thomas will get on and Cam Young will not. That, that's what's going to be – I think that'll be the one of the biggest travesties of this deal. And if, if, Dustin, or if Justin Thomas gets on, I don't think Luke Glover gets on either. So um, those are the guys that I think will get burned with the fact that you're going to bring Justin Thomas onto the team. What will happen if Justin Thomas makes the team, guys, there's two guys that will be left off that shouldn't be. Totally agree. I hope that that phone call, if Justin Thomas does get on the team, I hope that Zach Johnson's phone call to Cam Young or Lucas Glover will be on the Netflix full swing show because that's going to be must-watch TV. I don't know how Zach Johnson is going to tell Lucas Glover or Cam Young. We could go on down the list of guys, Sam Burns, that play better than Justin Thomas in 2023 and telling them that they will not have the opportunity to represent their country, but Justin Thomas will. I don't see a world where that happens because you can't justify it. Uh, Brooks Kepka, we all agree. Well, T-Dub and I agree that he will be on the team. Woody thinks that Justin Thomas will be on the team in place of Brooks Kepka. It's going to be an amazing, uh, interesting story to watch. Obviously, the picks coming up from Zach Johnson and the PGA of America on August 29th, uh, live from Frisco, Texas. We will definitely have all eyeballs on that on August 29th, fellas. We have to hit a break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. After the break, we're going to dive into the USAM and then preview the Tour Championship coming up at East Lake. You're listening to the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Hey everyone, T-Dub here. I want to take a second to tell you about my good friends 
at McCray Roofing. Not too long ago, my roof was in desperate need of repair. There was extensive hail damage, and I had many leaks that needed attention. Not only did Jeff and his staff build me a new roof, but they walked me through step-by-step of the claims process, which is something that I was very, very concerned about. Everything from the initial inspection of the roof to analyze all the damage to meeting with the insurance adjuster to make sure they were aware of every damaged area, making sure my claim was accurate. Their custom copper creations are truly beautiful and add a great touch to any roof. Not only do they do residential roofs, but they have an elite list of commercial customers, including Gallardia Country Club, Oak Tree National, and Bass Pro Shops. Check out their website at McCrayRoofing.com to view some of their work yourself and give them a call at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. On the other side of the break here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Speaking of Golf Oklahoma, if you go to golfoklahoma.org right now, you can read a story from Kim McLeod talking about how Max McGreevy and Austin Eckrote will highlight the field for the 109th Oklahoma Open coming up at the Oak Tree family side, Oak Tree East course, as it always does. That's going to be very, very cool to see Austin Eckrote and Max McGreevy playing in their state open. You can go read that story at golfoklahoma.org. You can also follow us at the 73rd Hole on Twitter and at 73rd Hole on Instagram. And if you are not already subscribed to the podcast, definitely make sure and go do so. We got great content coming up for you with the Ryder Cup. It's absolutely free, and it will just give you a notification whenever we drop a new episode. Fellas, we had the USM over this past weekend, and I was really, on Sunday, I was fired up for the USM. I didn't think that the BMW was really going to take my attention like it did with Victor Hovland shooting 28 on the back nine, so I didn't watch as much of the USM live as I thought I was going to, but the final match was Nick Dunlap versus Neil Shipley, who Neil Shipley was a big-time Cinderella story in this USAM before this USAM. He was the 132nd ranked player in the World Amateur Golf Ranking. Um, He beat Callum Scott of Texas Tech in 20 holes. He beat Winnie Ding, one up in the round of 64 as well from China goes on to win his semifinal match and get into the Masters. Fellas, what a story that is. The 132nd ranked player in the World Amateur Golf Ranking uh, to make the Masters. And then he went on to the finals. He did lose to Nick Dunlap in that final match, 4-2. and two. Nick Dunlap of Alabama wins 4-2. and two. Nick Dunlap, you know, freshman of the year, big time, young gun. He will be a sophomore at Alabama next year. Beat Gordon Sargent 2-1 in the round of 64. Took him 19 holes in the quarterfinals to make the semifinals. Uh, but he goes on to beat Parker Bell, uh, who is of Florida. And then uh, Neil Shipley beat J.M. Butler of Auburn in the semifinals. And fellas, one more thing to go along with this uh, Neil Shipley Cinderella story, making the Masters. 
got to be one of the only James Madison Duke golfers uh, of all time to make the Masters. He did transfer graduate student at Ohio State University, so he played for them last year. He'll have a COVID year next year as well to play for Ohio State, and you will see him in the Masters, but Nick Dunlap does win the U.S. Amateur the toughest tournament in all of golf to win. 312 guys in stroke play. You got to make it through the 64-man match play bracket. Uh, and Nick Dunlap gets the job done. And I want to tell you guys a cool story about Nick Dunlap. Nick Dunlap had an interesting beginning to this 123rd USM by playing a wrong ball on his third hole. He four-putted the fifth hole and was five over through his first seven holes. He ends up battling back to finish it one under par for the stroke play portion to get him into a tie for 38 to get him into the round of 64 and ends up going on to win the USAM. Now, he was a big-time favorite, but fellas, this was an unbelievable run. Then goes on to beat the best player in college golf now that Ludwig Aberg is gone and Gordon Sargent. And this cool story is Caddy, after he was five over through seven, wrote in his yardage book on the eighth hole, said this can be an amazing story if you let go and let it happen. And Nick Dunlap did, and he's your USAM champion, T-Dub. Yeah, that's a cool story, really. is. That's a sign that for all the kids out there to never give up because if things are looking down at any point, just know that, hey, old Nick Dunlap was five, under, was five over through seven and won the USAM. That's a pretty cool thing to say. And he's going to be playing. Could you, could you imagine him being five over through seven saying, hey, you're going to go play Augusta in a few months? Like, that would have been pretty crazy. Being like, what in the world are you talking about? It's great. I mean, it really is a good story. And it seems what's pretty funny now, Woody, is that uh, winning the semifinal match almost has as much prestige as winning the tournament because you get to go to the Masters. And I, the guy I feel bad for mostly in this is old John Marshall Butler. He had a lead on old Neil Shipley. I believe he was three up with eight holes to go. And unfortunately, lost two and one. Had a very poor stretch in there. Made about three or four bogeys in the stretch of, I believe he made four bogeys in the stretch of five holes. So, yeah, that, that's the guy that I feel for, Woody, is the guy who's missing out on the Augusta trip. And he was three up with eight to go. You you hit the nail on the head with that one. When I watch that U.S. Amateur, that's what I watch more than anything is those is to get the semifinal matches. Who gets through it to the finals? Because they are going to get an invitation to Augusta. I think the greatest thing about the U.S. Amateur guys is it's very rarely does the Cinderella story win. There's been examples, and Nathaniel Crosby, I remember one. And he wasn't the best amateur in the in the country at the time. Let's be honest. But he he won the golf tournament. Match play allows that to happen. Sometimes that Cinderella story can come there. I will give this Shipley a young man a really a lot of credit. He can play. He he was a you know a I, he wasn't the star. He was 130 something as you said, rank uh, Sam. But he could play some pretty good golf, and he made a hell of a match out of that 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 last match. I saw a little bit of it on the golf channel. I didn't. No I was doubt. like, it was guys, tied. I got lost. It, it was tied after eighteen holes, and now Dunlap ends up winning four and three. But it was tied after eighteen. Yeah. Obviously, thirty six hole final. And it was tight the first few holes on the on the the final eighteen. So, but the thirty six hole final. The reason why they do that is to give the cream the time to come to the top. If you look at Tiger Woods' record, Tiger came from a lot down on a lot of his matches because of 36 holes. He could 
he was just better, and that's what they want to happen. That's why they have a 36-0 final in that deal, so that the cream will come to the top. But it was fascinating to watch it. Uh, I didn't get to see it live because I was lost with Victor Hovland like you were, Sam. But watching it coming down the stretch, Colorado there at, at, at the uh, Cherry Hills, great golf course. A lot of emotion out of Shipley. Dunlap was a lot more focused. It looked like to me not as much as uh, gotten involved with all the crowd and everything. Went about business and, and ended up winning. It was a good win for him, but it's a great opportunity. I'm jealous of uh, Shipley. He's going to get to play at Augusta National. I never did. What do you mention Tiger Woods? Get this. 27 years ago in 1996, he was playing in the U.S. Amateur at Pumpkin Ridge, and Tiger wins his sixth straight USGA title over Steve Scott, and that was his 36th consecutive match win. Uh, I don't think that that record will ever be topped. I think that's Tiger's greatest record is winning three U.S. juniors and then three U.S. AMs, the toughest tournaments to win in all of golf. That was unbelievable. You mentioned Tiger. I had to give that stat. But Nick Dunlap, T-Dub, joined some great names to win at Cherry Hills, win USGA championships at Cherry Hills. Uh, You have Arnold Palmer, who won the 1960 U.S. Open, obviously driving the first green, legendary story. You had Andy North in the 78 U.S. Open. Jay Siegel, one of the greatest amateurs of all time, won the 83 mid-am there. Phil Mickelson won the USAM there in 1990. Jack Nicholas won the U.S. Senior Open in 93 there. And then the last uh, USGA men's championship they had was the 2012 USAM where Stephen Fox won. But that's a great group of names for Nick Dunlap to put his names with of USGA champs from Cherry Hills. Oh, 100%. Yeah, no, Cherry Hills is a very prestigious course. I wish they would honestly go back and play another major championship there at some point, but I don't think they will. It's uh, it's not the shortest course ever, but when they play at the altitude, it, it plays very short, so that's probably a reason as to why. But no, I think I think it really is a good test, and like I said, it's a good opportunity for, for Dunlap, too, as well. Using, winning the USM, at one point, this was a major. It was one of the four majors in golf. So it's a, it's a tremendous accomplishment to be able to get it done, and uh, like we mentioned earlier, going to Augusta is the best thing about it. And unfortunately, as we mentioned, the, the USM isn't as prestigious as it used to be, Unfortunately, it's just the nature of amateur golf. In all honesty, there's uh, other amateur tournaments that maybe aren't as necessarily prestigious, but I feel like that it's not in near the echelon that it used to be, and that is a little bit of a shame being a historian that I am. So, yeah, it's hopefully maybe we'll get back to the score days at some point, but unfortunately with the way it's going, probably not. The U.S. Amateur is something that I qualified twice for, but it, it, it was one of those golf tournaments that is, as a college, in a, a high school or college individual – I turned pro, of course, right after college. But if, if, if you qualify for the U.S. mid-am, U.S. amateur, it's a big deal. So we need to – I'm glad we talked about it today because it is a big deal. It's a massive, massive deal. And congratulations again to Alabama's Nick Dunlap. Uh, fellas, let's go to Scotty Scheffler at the Tour Championship who will have the top spot. And what that means is they have the staggered – scoring or staggered stroke system headed into the tour championship at East Lake. And so Scotty Scheffler will start the golf tournament at 10 under par. Victor Hovland, who is in second on the points list, will start at eight under par and so on and so forth. So McElroy at seven, John Rahm at sixth, 
Lucas Glover at fifth. And then when you get to sixth with Homa, Cantlay, Harmon, Wyndham Clark, and Matt Fitzpatrick, all of those guys will be at four. Fleetwood, Henley, Bradley, Fowler, and Shoffley will all be at three, tied for 11th to start the golf tournament. Tom Kim, Sung J M, Tony Finau, Corey Connors, Siwoo Kim will all be at, tied for 16 to start the golf tournament. And then Taylor Moore will start at one under along with Nick Taylor, Adam Shank, Colin Morikawa, Jason Day. And then tied for 26 to start the golf tournament, you'll have Sam Burns, Emiliano Grillo, Tyrrell Hatton, Jordan Spieth, and Sepp Straka all at even par. So that's how these guys are starting. Be careful when you're betting on guys to win the golf tournament this week. The reason why the odds look all weird is because guys are starting. I mean, those last guys I mentioned are starting 10 shots back of the number one player in the world in Scotty Scheffler. So I'll say it one more time. Scheffler at 10, Hovland at 8, McElroy at 7, Rahm at 6, Glover at five to start the golf tournament. Woody, I want to start with you because I've heard this many, many times, and I'm sure you've played East Lake in the past. Do you have any stories about East Lake and why, it, in a lot of players' opinions, is the courses that I hear the most that are the favorite on the PGA Tour? You hear Riviera, you're Colonial, and people always throw in East Lake. Why is it one of the players' favorite golf courses to go to? It sets up beautiful to the eye and probably has the best greens you'll ever step foot on. The greens are just absolutely flawless. They are perfect putting surfaces. And the golf course itself bodes well for anybody that, you know, when you look at a hole, like like you said, Riviera, Olympic Club, there's a lot of golf courses you go to that you just look out there and you see where you need to hit it. There's nothing blind about it. It's right in front of you. It just sets up with the eye so well. It's just a golf course you just love to play. But I think the reason why it always rates so high, Sam, the greens are just perfect. Absolutely perfect. What are your thoughts on East Lake, T-Dub? I think it's a beautiful golf course. It's got some great holes. Remember, not too long ago, the nines were flipped. The last hole used to be a par three, which is now number nine. So that does make it a little bit different. Now the finishing hole is the is a par five, which I think is, much better in my opinion. It also puts the uh, the what well, used to be the sixth hole, which is now number fifteen, the, the island par three, very too much towards the end. That is a hole that I would not want to step foot on. Two hundred ten yards, and it looks like a a fingernail up there that you're trying to hit your ball to. It that is just one of the more intimidating tee shots I've ever seen in my entire life for whatever reason. It's just it's crazy how hard in my opinion that'd be, especially with all the money that is on the line to play with. So, but overall, from an architectural standpoint, I think it's great. Got it. It's not. Obviously, with the rough, it's penalizing off the tee, but it's not like a, you're going to lose your ball type of course if you miss it. So I feel like you are able to recover from bad shots that you hit. So it's, uh, in my opinion, I, I agree with, uh, and I've never played it before, just but, but from seeing it, I can't see any reason why I would disagree with what the players think. No doubt. I got to get your guys' thoughts on the new-ish scoring system that we have at the Tour Championship. In my opinion, it ruins the Tour Championship. It's too big of an advantage to give guys having, you know, Scheffler start at 10 under, uh, you know, and even a two-shot advantage over Hovland. In my opinion, in other sports, the playoffs, every team starts at zero and you play it off. That's the whole point of the playoffs. And imagine in a football game in the Super Bowl giving 
the team that had the best record a seven-point advantage to start the game. It's just stupid, in my opinion, that they did this to the Tour Championship. I didn't have any problem with having the winner of the Tour Championship and the winner of the FedEx Cup. Yes, it's confusing, but it's a season-long points system factoring in every single tournament. Of course, it's going to be confusing. Uh, I had no problem with the prior system that they had just playing the Tour Championship and Obviously, sometimes there was no drama with the FedEx Cup, but now the winner of the Tour Championship will be the winner of the FedEx Cup. Some people like that and think that it's easier for the casual fan. I tend to disagree, but we're going to have Scotty Scheffler start off with a two-shot lead over Victor Hovland and guys like Spieth and uh, Hatton and Burns will have no shot to win a Tour Championship because they're starting 10 shots back. That's what garbage is what it is. It really is. It's, it's, It's horrible. I think it's an absolute disgrace. Through the tournament, I remember when Tiger Woods won here in 2018, and this is exactly what happened. You had so many non-golf fans watching that. They had no idea how the point system worked, and so everyone got confused. We were thinking, oh, well, Justin Rose has to get up and down out of this bunker on 18. Win the FedEx Cup. If he's not getting it, someone else will have a chance to win. And everyone's like, oh, what in the world is going on? Who, who's going to win the tournament? People thought that Justin Rose was going to win the tournament when Tiger was going to win the Tour Championship the entire time. I get that the point system can be a little convoluted and hard to understand. But at the same time, it's something that I feel like the FedEx Cup should be a more of a season-long deal. I'm not a big fan of putting the emphasis on three tournaments, or in this case, really one tournament, because if you start this tournament 10 or apart, which usually who's going to be number one in the FedEx Cup usually is going to be a top three player in the world as it is now, or number one with Scotty Scheffler, it makes it really hard to make it a 30-person tournament. That was one of the good things about the championship was it was a, a smaller field, and it gave the 30 best players all a chance to win, and now you have maybe four players that have a chance to win whenever you look at the, the percentages. Scotty Scheffler with his scoring has a 45% chance. Rory, 18% of Victor Hovland with a 12.5. So the next highest after that is 6.3%. There's so many guys in this field that have literally no chance to win this tournament. And it's an absolute shame to what it was the church championship because we're really only going to be looking at a handful of guys. Here's my two cents, and it's real easy. I only care about one thing or two things this week. I want to watch how these guys that are on the Ryder Cup bubble play, and I don't want Rory McIlroy to win. Other than that, I'm good with whatever the hell happens, okay? I don't care, okay? That's what I care about this week. So just that's an FYI for everybody. It would be so Rory McIlroy to win another FedEx Cup that no one really cares about, right? Um Guys, I think the easiest way, the last thing I'll say on this on the Tour Championship is the easiest way to fix the FedEx Cup rankings and and the playoffs would be to end the season-long points race at the end of the season, add a couple more playoff events, and everyone starts at zero after every tournament, but you just keep cutting the field down uh, until you get to about 10 guys, and then the last tournament would be about, you know, 10 guys, and you play it off for another extra $10 million, but the guy who won the season-long points system gets their money as well. So just make it two separate things. That would make it more like playoffs, but they'll never do that because they don't want to risk one of the big names losing out in the first round and not having them around. Uh, So I understand why they don't want to do that. Fellas, I mean, as far as the Tour Championship goes and who I think is going to be the FedEx Cup champion, it would be stupid of me not to pick Scotty Scheffler, who already has a two-shot lead, T-Dub. Oh, absolutely. You look at it, 45% chance, so 55% chance that anyone else would win it. The next highest is Rory at 18%. And remember also, too, Scotty Scheffler, he had, what, a five or six-shot lead after three rounds 
last year in this tournament, Rory came back and ended up beating him. So I think Scheffler does have a chip on his shoulder, Woody. That's why, I, once again, I feel like I'd be so stupid to not pick him, even though we do see that his putter will, will more than likely let him down coming down the stretch. I'm kind of like you guys. I love Scheffler, but I also like Victor Hoffman, believe it or not. As long as I say, as long as Rory doesn't win, I'll take I'll take Scheffler winning or I'll take Victor Hoffman winning. Those two will – I'll be happy with either one of those winning. I know that Woody has to go. Woody, I appreciate it today. That was fun. We, we're going to wrap it up here, but uh, thanks for coming on. I had a great time as always. I hope I'm really wrong on the Ryder Cup. And I hope I'm right about Rory not winning. Other than that, it's been a great show. <laughs> no doubt about it. That's Jim Woodward, teaching professional out at Oak Tree National. Um, T-Dub, to wrap it up here, let's do our one-and-done picks. I got to ask you what I should do in the one-and-dones because I only have one guy in the top 20 in the in the official World Golf Rankings. That would be Tom Kim. Uh, I also have Lucas Glover available, Corey Connors available, uh, Grillo available, Taylor Moore available. Let's see out of these guys where they're already at on the leaderboard. So uh, Taylor Moore is starting at one under. I got to pick Glover, obviously, because he's already at five under. Where is Tom Kim on this leaderboard? He's two under. Yeah, I, I guess I got to go with uh, Tom Kim and Lucas Glover, T-Dub. <laughs> Well, at this point in the season, it is definitely slim pickings. There's no doubt about it. I, out of the 30 players who are in this tournament, I had the option to pick a whopping six of them. So my options are very, very limited. I guess it's a good sign that it means that I at least pick good players coming up, leading up to the season because they would only be in the top 30 had they not. But at this point, it's slim pickings. I got to go with the highest on the board like yourself. I have not used Lucas Glover yet, so I will pick him as well. And then I have to pick Keegan Bradley. He's the next highest I have on there. And I feel like that he'll play at least halfway decent, hopefully. So, yeah, it's definitely slim pickings. I believe I am like 22 or 23rd in the standings, top 17 pay. And the fact that I'm running out those two golfers, Sam, I'm really not falling to my chances. I know that I said it would be stupid not to pick Scotty Scheffler, but I do feel like Eastlake sets up well for Victor Hovland, and he's only two shots back. And if he strikes the ball the way he did and has all season and putts the way he did last week at the BMW, it should be an exciting weekend. That's one thing that this staggered scoring system does do, T-Dub, is you're almost guaranteed to have... Scheffler and Hovland at least somewhere close to each other come Sunday. That's one of the halfway decent perks of it compared to the 85,000 negatives that go along with it. So I guess just weigh your pros and cons <laughs> of, of that situation there. So yeah, but, but no, it's got Scheffler, two-shot lead leading into it. So it, yeah, go ahead and I, seriously, you might as well just go ahead and hand the trophy unless he chokes it off <laughs> this year. I will say though, Victor Hovland, if he does what he did on, on that back nine on Sunday, he will absolutely stop this field if he's going to keep shooting 28. Speaking of 28, I remember when, I can't remember what year it was, maybe 2006 or 2007, Tiger shot a 28 on the front nine, which was which is now the back nine there. He shot, I might have actually been a 27, actually. It's something along those lines. So, uh, nice little Tiger fun fact for you for Eastlake, where he's had a man of tremendous success that happened long before even 2018, which we were referring to earlier. By the way, John Rahm, we didn't talk about how he did at the BMW Championship. John Rahm finished at even par at Olympia Fields, finished tied for 31st. But he's still, uh, like I said earlier, 
he will start the tournament in fourth place at six under par, only four shots back of Scotty Scheffler. Can't sleep on him. Rory in third at seven under par. I mean, all these guys at four under par. To me, T-Dub, this staggered scoring system, we could try to do some big tour championship preview, but it kind of takes the allure out of the tour championship with this staggered scoring system. It's kind of like, yeah, Scotty should win it. He has a two-shot lead already. Well, to, to that point, there's only 30 players in the field and everyone had a chance. We could realistically just go through each player real quick and say what we thought of their chances. We could have a full players preview very, very fast. And now why are we going to preview Emiliano Grillo or even Terrell Hatton or even Spieth at this point? They're starting 10 shots back. There's no way they have a chance to win this tournament. None whatsoever. So yeah, it just eliminates so many players and even someone like our man Team Moore. I would love for him to come in with this tournament scratch free and potentially have a chance to go out and beat everyone heads up. But starting nine shots back of Scotty Scheffler and seven shots back of Victor Hovland, six shots back of Rory, uh, five shots back of John, John Rahm, it just the, the task is not necessarily insurmountable, but it's it's a lot harder than it would have been versus the opposite. Well, it should be. A guy like Taylor Moore, who's in 21st on the FedEx Cup right now, could go out and shoot 30 under par and still not win. <laughs> yeah, 100%. It's, yeah, it's an absolute travesty. And then guys like like even down here, Colin Morikawa, Jason Day, things like that, they could go out. And we can see a situation where they may win what would be the stroke play portion if there was no strokes, but then they're not going to have any chance to win the tournament. And then you're like, well, if they did, did they actually win with the strokes? Because you can have players aim more towards middle of the greens down the stretch. So you don't see how they would play versus if, they, if the circumstances were different. So, yeah, there, there's so many consequences of them doing the scoring system. It just even, even the more that we talk about it, the more it keeps pissing me off. I will say one thing. To keep in mind watching this tour championship, and I'm sure they will talk about it on the air, on the broadcast, but you got to remember that Lucas Glover, I, I think that Zach Johnson, when he takes into consideration how these guys play this week, it will be starting at even par, obviously. You know, like if Lucas Glover finishes the tournament at five under par – uh, it's not as good of a week as if he finished, you know, 10 under par, which is really five under par. Uh, do you see what I'm saying, T-Dub? He's going to consider it a normal golf tournament, so it might be a little deceiving if you see Lucas Glover up there in the top 10 of this golf tournament at the on Sunday, but he really might not have played as well as it looks. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think that, especially just the guy you're mentioning, like Lucas Glover, I really do hope that he gets picked on the team. I feel like that he's been such a journeyman, been able to stay on tour for over two decades. That's just absolutely unbelievable. Anyone that can do that is an absolute stick. So I, I really do hope he gets a chance, and especially if he can get that putter a little bit rolling, I will 100% root. But yeah, that's really going to be the main storyline. And Sam, I mean, we talked about it with Woody for almost an hour earlier, yeah. but how, how this Ryder Cup implications come with it is going to be absolutely insurmountable in the fact of we have not won on your on European soil since the year I was born in 1993. I'm 30 years old. I've seen a lot of life occur to me. And you're telling me we have not won in Europe since then? It absolutely blows my mind to think about. And if we are able to actually do that, it's going to be, it's going to be great. And unfortunately, we have some politics that have been involved that we've detailed. But at the same time, I just hope that the right players can get picked for this team. I am a little bit worried like, like Woody is, but I just hope that deep down, Sam, Overall, the game of golf will triumph over this. Overall, these bullshit politics that have been happening on over these last uh, year and a half. 
couldn't agree more. We need to start using more common sense. And I think that this Ryder Cup would be an awesome opportunity to kind of unify the game of golf. We'll see if the PGA of America and Zach Johnson actually does that. My last point would be if Sam Burns, uh, a guy like Sam Burns, who's starting at even par for this tour championship, if he were to go out and shoot like 15 under, he's not going to win the tour championship, but it would definitely warrant a phone call from Zach Johnson, I think. Uh, it would be a big, big you know, dart on Zach Johnson's radar if he were to do something like that, T-Dub. I think that'll be really interesting to look at at the Tour Championship. T-Dub, did we miss anything today? We covered a lot with not only the BMW, but the Ryder Cup stuff, and then we got into the USAM stuff, and now the Tour Championship, the watered-down Tour Championship, I guess we'll call it. Um, it's just going to be I, – I just can't wait for August 29th, T-Dub. I, I, I could care less about this Tour Championship, to be honest. 100%. I'm, I'm definitely looking ahead, especially since there's three people, essentially, that have a chance to win the tournament. It is that I remember, Sam, I wasn't old enough. I was alive when it happened, but I wasn't old enough to remember when they had the Tour Championship at Southern Hills. They had it, I believe, in 1995 and 1996. That would have been super cool. And it was great to have a tournament like that in Oklahoma Triumph. And now it's, we're limiting to where only three players or four players realistically have a chance to win. I get it. Also, too, you have to look at if someone like it starts at even par and they come out and actually win this tournament, it would be one of the greatest performances in the history of golf. If Jordan Spieth had started at Eva Park and somehow win the Tour Championship, there would be a few greater accomplishments that I've ever seen in my entire life. So it, it, if something like that does happen, it would be really, really cool. But I just think that whenever you do something stupid as this, it really eliminates half the field, and, or more than half the field, and it, that's the, honestly a damn disgrace. The Tour Championship just isn't what it was back when Happy Gilmore took down Shooter McGavin in the 96 Tour Championship. <laughs> we will have Scotty Scheffler. <laughs> the golden days. Yeah, the gold jacket, green jacket. You know what happens next. Uh, we will have Scotty Scheffler and Victor Hovland, McElroy and Rom all battling it out, but I'd still rather watch Happy Gilmore take down Shooter McGavin, like he did back in 96. T-Dub, great show. Thank you to Woody. We will be back next week, and we will be talking all Ryder Cup. And if you listen, if you're in the Oklahoma City area and you listen to our 73rd Hole radio show on the Sports Animal, 98.1 FM, WWLS, the Sports Animal, we will be done after this tour championship, but we will come back for one special episode on the weekend of the Ryder Cup. So definitely stay tuned for that. But T-Dub, it's football season in Oklahoma. Nobody cares about golf unless it's the Ryder Cup. So we will be done after the Tour Championship, but we will be back for the Ryder Cup for one special 73rd Hole radio show. Stay tuned for that. And also go subscribe to the 73rd Hole podcast because we will not be done on the podcast. We will still release episodes throughout the year right here on the 73rd Hole Podcast. You can catch that on golfoklahoma.org as well as the sportsanimal.com podcast page or anywhere you get your podcast. So definitely follow the 73rd Hole on Apple and it will just give you a notification whenever we drop a new episode. It's absolutely free. You are not going to want to miss all of our content and interviews throughout the offseason, the quote-unquote offseason in the game of golf. Like I said, thank you, Woody. Thank you, T-Dub. This has been Sam Humphreys on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd Old Podcast.